Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Dr. Patterson, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and share God's word. And I really appreciate you sharing about the quiver because when I used to sit over there, I'd heard that story. And I pray to God that he'd give me five kids because I want to have a quiver full. And when I went to premarital counseling with my wife, we hadn't talked about how many kids they have. And our pastor asked us, how many kids do you want? He asked me first. And I did not want to scare my uh, fiance away, but I thought, knew I, if I wasn't truthful then, I would never be. And I said, four. I crossed my fingers. I came from a family of four, and I wanted four kids. Figure with a family of six, buy a dozen donuts, everybody gets two. Table of six, everybody fits. And then it was her turn, and she said, five. And I said, praise God, she's the one. <laughs> and so I'm thankful for Patricia and my five kids and our new dog, Nugget. And um, God answered my kids' prayers, not mine. That was not my heart's desire. But the prayer of a righteous child can availeth much as well. So um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 today, if you take your Bibles. And for those of you who speak Spanish, les doy unos saludos de parte de mi corazón. Ustedes, que Dios los bendiga. Da mucho gusto que ustedes están aquí acompañándonos también. Que Dios los bendiga. Have you ever lost focus? Have you ever lost your way and wondered, what am I doing? Why am I here? It could be as simple as walking to the refrigerator, opening it, and then forgetting why you went in the first place. That ever happened to you? Or like my wife one time, she's standing from the refrigerator looking for something. She's looking, she's looking, and she's just moving stuff, shifting stuff, and finally she says, where's the mayo? I can't find the mayo. And our kids look at each other, kind of not knowing what to say, and finally one of them says, mom, it's in your hand. <laughs> That's what five kids will do to you. It could be about Christmas. It gets really busy this time of the year with family, presents, traveling, who we're going to visit, who we're going to see, what we're going to do, um, church programs and outreach and presents there and parties. Um, here at school, finals, projects, papers, professors have to grade all of that. Yeah. End of the year reports. A lot of things going on. It can also be as crucial to know why we're doing things when it comes to ministry. Why am I in the ministry? Why am I in seminary? What am I doing? Sadly, you can be holding the Bible in your hand while looking around wildly in other places for answers to these questions. Sadly, it happens to all of us. And I know that because it has happened to me. And if I'm not careful, it can happen every day. Today, we want to talk about how to maintain focus. How to stay focused on what God has called us to do. So go to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verses 35 to 39. In Mark 1, these are the first days of Jesus' public ministry. And at this point, he's living in Capernaum apparently with Peter in his home. He's preaching because John has already been incarcerated and imprisoned by Herod Antipas. He's already called his first disciples, and he is already drawing a crowd. So we're going to ask two questions. How does Jesus maintain focus 
on his ministry with all the distractions life throws at him. And then we want to see how we can do the same. So let's stand and read God's word, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. can follow in your copy of God's word. I'm reading from the NASB, and it says thus. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Father, speak to us this morning. We want to hear your word. We want to be touched by your spirit, not by man. I am only your servant. Transform us today through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few observations. First, Jesus prays. Very simple one. Jesus gets up early, gets away, and he prays. This is the day after he reveals his power to minister through miracles. He has cast out a demon through the power of his word. He's teaching with authority. People are like, wow, this guy has authority. And now he goes to a desolate place away from the multitude to pray. It's a desolate place. The word is eremos, which is the same word where John the Baptist was in the wilderness. It's the same word where Jesus went into the wilderness here before our passage in Mark 1 to be tempted by Satan. He's in the wilderness, a desert, desolate place. And he seeks this place early in the morning, and Mark kind of redundant, early in the morning while it's still dark, in order to what? Commune with his Father. The text does not say that Jesus found a desolate place in order to recharge his batteries. It does not say he went to go have a retreat. It does not say he took a break to get away from it all. It seems that for Jesus, his rest is in the Father, not in the retreat. We could say that Jesus' retreat is in the Father's presence. And then we also see that everyone's looking for Jesus. The disciples look for Jesus, threatening his quiet time with the Father. The language has a negative tone there. It's kind of like when a parent loses his child in the mall or at an amusement park. They find him or her, and they're relieved, but they're also frustrated. It's kind of like, Jesus, where were you? Everyone's looking for you. Why did you leave us without telling us? This is important, Jesus. These newly called disciples were unfocused. They didn't understand Jesus' mission, or perhaps even worse, they were focused on the wrong thing. It seems they thought that Jesus was going to minister according to the clamor of the people. He's going to put oil on the squeaky wheels of ministry. They thought Jesus' mission was to be dictated by men. The multitude is also looking for Jesus. The previous day, they received physical healing from illness and from demon possession. Now they want more. You blame them? 
and they can't find Jesus. They went to the house. He's not there, and they're pressing the disciples. Where is Jesus? He's nowhere to be found, and we're in need. We want more. So the day starts with Jesus leaving early, going to pray in a desolate place alone with his father. Everyone's looking for him to continue his ministry, or at least what they think his ministry should be. And we see in verse 38 and 39, when the crowd, when the disciples find him, he says, let's go. Let's leave the crowd. And Jesus maintains his focus on his mission. Jesus' mission is already in jeopardy from the very onset of his ministry. He's just started. Pressure from the crowd, redirection from his disciples. But because he prioritized prayer... He retreated into his father's presence. He maintained focus on his mission, which is what? In Mark 1.14, he tells us what his mission is. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is what he's doing. And then we see... In verse 38, 39, he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Jesus came to preach not just to one area, one city, but to everyone. He's not distracted. He maintains his focus on his father's agenda. Jesus had the courage to say no to the needy crowds and yes to his father. Let us go to the next towns, for this is what I came out for. This is why I came out. Jesus knew without a shadow of a doubt what his next step was. Why? Because he spent time with his father through prayer. So what do we learn from all of this? A Christian's public ministry is an extension of his or her private prayer life. Imagine, just for a second, imagine if Jesus had done ministry like most of us do it without praying. What would have happened? Well, his public ministry would have looked very different, wouldn't it have? Perhaps he might have delayed action for a lack of insight and direction from the Holy Spirit. Maybe when all those people started knocking on that door that early next morning, if he hadn't gone out to pray... He would have started ministering to them because, well, it must be from God. They're all here. They're needed. You're looking for me. And perhaps he would have stayed in Capernaum instead of going out to where the Holy Spirit had planned for him to go. How many times might that happen to us if we don't spend time with the Father in prayer? Praise God that the second Adam didn't do this but showed us how to live rightly before the Father. Without the work of prayer, there can be no fruit of ministry. We've heard this statistic over and over again for years now. I don't think it's any better. Over 80% of our churches are either stagnant or in decline. We can talk about many reasons why, but I just want to answer that question with a question. How many of our churches actually pray at our Wednesday prayer services? How many pastors pray with their leaders on a regular basis, intimate, heartfelt, honest, open prayer time with their leaders? How many elders pray through their membership role every day? 
How many pastors show up for association, denominational prayer meetings? Not many. You see, prayer is inhaling. And ministry is exhaling. It's easy. You can only exhale so long before you need to inhale or you start suffocating. Prayer is literally entering into God's presence and being filled by him so you can go back out and minister to God's people and the lost. This is what Jesus did because he needed it. How much more do we? Another thing we can learn, and you'll see how it's connected here in a bit, an intimate prayer life provides us the supernatural strength we need to persevere in our mission. Jesus retreated to a desolate place to be alone with the Father, and then, after a long day on Saturday, on the Sabbath, he went to the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, he taught, he expelled demons, he went back home, he helped Peter's mother-in-law, they had lunch, sundown came, people showed up, and he's working late into the night. Goes to sleep really late, wakes up really early before everybody else goes to pray, and then what does he do? Goes out on a preaching circuit. He goes to all the other towns, and he's gone for a while. Why was he able to have this physical endurance? Because of the supernatural strength he received from the Holy Spirit, because he communed with his Father in prayer. Where do we retreat to when we're exhausted by the weight of ministry, school, life? A lot of times we retreat to ourselves. We retreat to our spouses. We can retreat to friends and family, try to find encouragement there. Sometimes we go to the world. We go to nature. Sometimes we go to video games, entertainment. Sometimes we even go to sin just to take a break from trying to live the holy life. Why not go to the Father instead? We may have overemphasized or maybe even understood this whole concept of rest and boundaries for the sake of avoiding burnout. Burnout is a real thing. Do not misunderstand what I'm going to say. God gave us six days to work, one day to rest. The day to work, the night to rest. And there's a place for that, and we need it. Our bodies need it. Jesus needed it. He was in a sleep during a storm. He was so exhausted. But here's the point. Jesus never burned out because he never stopped praying. He never stopped being in the Father's presence and receiving what he needed to keep going just one more day. After all, he taught us to live one day at a time, didn't he? He had a long day Saturday, but he kept going strong on Sunday. Pastors, we can have a long day on Sunday and still keep going strong on Monday. If maybe we just start our day in prayer. But we also see learning from the example of the crowd and the disciples a couple of other things. Most people misunderstand Jesus and his message. The multitude misunderstood Jesus' message, and today's crowd is no different. This is why the prosperity gospel in all its forms is so popular. The focus is on the self. My words dictate my circumstances. I have control over my life. 
positive thinking will change my outlook on life. This is the reason why many charismatic churches focus on healing. The focus is on my well-being, my health, my future inheritance in heaven, here on earth, now. Kind of sounds like the prodigal son story. It's the reason why a church, I probably call it more of a sect, in Latin America, and it's now infiltrated in the United States, is called Pare de Sufrir, which means, literally, this is the name of the church, Stop Suffering. That's the title on their buildings. That's the name of their church. Stop suffering. And guess what? They're exploding. People misunderstand Jesus' message, just like the crowd here in Mark 1. The disciples misunderstood Jesus' mission, and today we're not any better. We turn the gospel of Jesus Christ into a perverted gospel that suits ourselves, our tastes, our needs, our desires, our dreams, our culture. We seek a Jesus that helps us make sense of our own lives instead of seeing who Jesus really is. How do we lose our focus like this? How has the church come to this? How can so many seek after Jesus yet miss him completely? It's because many seek Jesus not to have communion with God, not to have peace with God because they're interested in how he can serve them. They don't want Jesus, Lord and Savior. They want Jesus, my spiritual Santa Claus. As you can see, because of the lack of prayer, we lose focus. And a healthy prayer life is crucial to stay focused on our mission to remember why we do what we do, to remember that this is what we do because we can only get that from the Father because he's made us. It's his plan. It's his world. It's his mission to save the world, not ours. We're just his ambassadors, his servants. It's Christ's church. God gives the growth. All we have to do is go scatter seed. But if we do not spend time in God's presence, we forget that. And we can keep doing the same thing, even the right things, and just lose hope, be discouraged, even enter depression, just because we have not taken time to enter or retreat into the Father's presence. So what do we do with this? Here's a few things we can apply. Find your quiet space. Find your eremos your wilderness, and pray. Get away from it all and seek to be solely and only and holy in God's presence. There is so much competition out there for our attention. It's everywhere. It's even in our pockets now in our phones. For the world, church, family, our spouses, all these things can become distractions when we're trying to enter into the presence of God. We must intentionally remove ourselves from all the noise of life so we can hear, hear God's still, small voice. Solitude is a spiritual discipline. God wants to see if we really, really, really want to hear his voice. There are times that I'm talking with my wife, 
And uh, I can tell she's not telling me what she really wants to say because I'm distracted. It's my fault. She wants to know if I really want to hear what she has to say. And it's not until I actually put my phone down or turn off the TV or actually look her in the eye that I begin to connect with her and we actually start to share from the heart. And we actually begin to enjoy our relationship. Finding that quiet place without interruptions can look different for everybody. People talk about a prayer closet. That's great. Some people pray in their car, in the lunchtime, at work, so they can get away and actually have time with God. Some people actually go to their bathroom. You live in a small house. You can't get away. Lock yourself up in the bathroom. Let them think what they want. <laughs> Praise Jesus. These are not examples I'm pulling off the top of my head. There are church members, actually, in my church that do this because that's the only place they can go. And they want that time with God. Remember, prayer is inhaling and it's being prepared to hear God. It's a time of refreshing in Acts 3, verses 19 through 20. It talks about the presence of God is a time of refreshment, of spiritual refreshment. How do you know if, if you're getting this or not? What's well, easy? The example I said about talking to my wife, you know, you're aware, you're conscious of when you are talking with somebody, when you're connecting with someone, right? It's no different with God. When you are in God's presence, you will know it. It's not something abstract. It's not even something mystical. You may use that word if you want. When you're in God's presence, we see people in God's presence in Scripture, there is no doubt they know they're in God's presence. They fall flat on their face. They worship God. They're fearful. And it's amazing. And God always shows grace to his people. So you got to get into God's presence. You have to inhale so later you can exhale in your day-to-day -day life, in your ministry, in your classes. You can give from what you have received from the Lord. Again, if you don't inhale and you're always exhaling, 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 eventually you're going to suffocate. And you're not going to even know why. You're going to be holding that jar of mayo in your hand looking for the mayo in the fridge, and you don't know, you already have everything God has needed, everything you need, God has already given you. You just have to want it. You have to take it. You have to retreat into the Father's presence. So let's seek God. Well, I think here in Mark 1, that's the opposite of what we need to do. We don't need to seek God. We need to stop seeking Jesus and start listening to him. Because the crowd seeks after Jesus. And if you read Mark, seeking after Jesus almost always in a negative light. They're seeking Jesus for their own ends, for the way they want God to minister to them. They're not thinking about God and his kingdom. They're thinking about their own personal needs. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, what does it say? As it is written... None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. 
All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We're like sheep that have gone astray. We don't know how to be our way back. We don't seek after Jesus. Jesus seeks us. He's the good shepherd. God is the seeker. There's no such thing as seeker-friendly church. God is the seeker. He's the one who brings us to him. God is our savior. So listen. He's calling. He's speaking. Be still. Find your place of solitude and listen. Want to practice that? Look at Mark 1.15. Let's listen to what God has to say. Instead of seeking Jesus, he's already sought us. He's given us his word. He's speaking to us. Let's listen. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What really matters? Your soul. God's kingdom. Your sin keeps you out. So what does he say? You've got to repent. You've got to believe in the gospel. What does that mean? Take time to go and retreat into the Father, and he'll make it ab- abundantly clear to you. Show him you truly want to listen what has already been revealed. We need to stop seeking and start listening to Jesus. We also need to stop trying to control Jesus and start following him. This is what the disciples did. They were untrained and misguided at this point. That's new for them. And they're trying to tell Jesus what to do, how to minister. Don't turn Jesus into a little personal little Jesus that you put in your pocket and pull him out when you need him. In other words, don't turn Jesus into an idol of your own making in your own mind. Follow him and who he says he is, not who you want him to be and what you want him to do. James Edwards, in his commentary on Mark, says discipleship consists not in attempting to control God's work, but in following God's son. Have you ever been mad at God? Raise your hand if if you have. All right, we've got some honest people in this room. I'm glad. Have you ever doubted his love for you because something bad happened to you or a loved one? Or perhaps a specific prayer wasn't answered? Or maybe things worked out differently than what you expected and you feel out of control? There could be several reasons for any one of these feelings, but I submit to you based on our passage today that I think many times we feel these ways because we want God to work things out our way and according to our timetable. And when our little Jesus doesn't do what we ask him to do, that we want him to do, when we want him to do it, we get mad at him. We want God to serve us according to our whims. We want to control him. Well, Jesus said he came to serve us. Jesus said he came to wash my feet. So Jesus gets started. And we misunderstand Jesus' message, just like the crowd. We misunderstand his mission, just like disciples here in Mark 1. But you know what? Even the perplexed and misguided disciples, Simon and the others, when they see what Jesus is doing, they don't fully understand. They're like, Jesus, we're leaving the crowd? That goes against every church planting manual out there. 
When you get a crowd, you start a Bible study. You do a previous service. You get traction. You get momentum going, and you watch that baby grow. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> but what does Jesus do? He leaves them. Simon is like, Jesus, like, I don't get it. Jesus could have quoted Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Even though Peter didn't get it, he left the crowd and followed Jesus. He didn't fully understand the mission. At first, he's almost chastising Jesus. But you know what? In the end, he stopped trying to control Jesus and followed him. Let us do the same. Let's follow Jesus in faith even when we do not understand his church planting strategy, his ministry strategy, even when it seems contrary to our common sense because our common sense is polluted by sin. Remember I said we're going to answer a couple questions. The first one, how did Jesus maintain focus? Do I know the answer? By retreating into the Father's presence. Have you remained focused on your mission, on what God has called you to do? Are you doubting why I'm here? Is this worth it? Why am I working so hard, sacrificing so much, and I see so little fruit. It hurts, and I want to stop. Are you like the crowd, focused on yourself and your problems and your perceived needs? Or are you like the disciples? They're pressured by the needs of others, pressured by the outside needs of the world, allowing your actions to be dictated by man rather than God. But in the end, regardless of how you felt, follow Jesus anyway. So how do we maintain focus? Let's follow Jesus' example, the perfect example he gave us. Let's take time to inhale. Breathe in the Father's presence. Let's have an intimate prayer time with the Father so we can be ready to exhale. And how many times have you taken a breath during this chapel service? You don't even think about it. You... It's easy. And we look at Jesus' life and his ministry. He always knew what to say. He always knew what to do. He was always in the Father's will. He always had the strength to keep going. But he was always praying. And it wasn't... Just a quick prayer, God bless my burger before I eat it. It was true, intimate communion with the Father. So I want to pray for you. This is the end of the year. Things are crazy. You're probably thinking about your papers, your projects need to get done. Professors are not anxious to read them, I assure you, because it's work for them also reports, administration that has to do end of the semester, end of the year at church. You got stuff going on, family, you got stuff going on. But let me assure you, if you could take time to retreat into the Father's presence, this could be your best Christmas season ever.
because then God will fill you. He'll remind you what you're doing, what you're doing, and he will bless you. He'll bless your family. He'll bless your church. He'll bless his school. He'll bless your studies. He'll bless your work. And he'll do it according to his good, perfect, and holy will. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father, you've given us everything we need. We have your word that lights our way. We have your spirit that, Father, fills us with life. We have Jesus' example. We have the church, Father, where we encourage and stimulate one another towards love and good works. We have the call and the mission you've given us. Help us, Father, even today, to begin to retreat into you that we may inhale, inhale, and inhale your presence, your blessing, your supernatural strength, your wisdom, your direction. Oh, Father, may this Christmas season be the best one ever in our lives because we have learned to retreat into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.